is doing here in this place and uh, we are believing together we're standing together Stephen and I and the leaders and the elders for God to do something absolutely tremendous in this year believing for more of what God has for uh, God has for us if I can say the immeasurably more there's an immeasurable more that we must enter into and that God has for us and we have to engage in and step into in Jesus' name. I don't know why, why I was thinking this. I, I have to say, I think it's God. But, you know, there's times when we come to services and particularly those who are on a bit of a journey trying to discern where they're at, where their faith journey is trying to understand, make sense of their life and their purpose. And I just, my mind went to a lady who is now part of our Ilkeston campus. She actually came from a, um, she'd been involved in um, uh, tarot readings and all kinds of things that she'd been involved in. And the reason why she engaged in those things is because she was trying to make sense of her life, trying to get a sense of purpose. And people had told her, well, they would be able to help her. And she came into our, into our gatherings. And for numbers of weeks, all she did was sob her heart out. I remember watching her. I remember watching her when I was there. And she would just, she would just weep and weep and weep. And a few weeks into the journey, she had the courage to come and speak to me. And she says, I'm, I'm ever so sorry if this is embarrassing for you. But I don't know what comes over me when I'm in, when I'm in the gathering. I don't understand what you're singing about, but it touches me. I don't even understand what you're preaching about. But something happens here and something keeps drawing me back to this place. And I just said to her, I won't mention her name because I haven't got the permission to tell the, the full story. But I just said to her, I said, listen, what I'd encourage you to do is just keep coming. Even though you don't understand it, just keep coming. Because in my mind, what God is doing is he's just doing a deep work in your heart. There's almost... A cleansing, there's a washing, there's just something that's beginning to happen in you. I'm glad to say that a few years on, this lady is one of our most uh, intricate parts of our community life in, in, in Ilkeston. She does an incredible job. She's brought um, a two daughters uh, to faith. She's brought a, a granddaughter to faith. She brings a great grandson to church. God has done an incredible work. And I want to tell you, it's, it's like, it's, it's almost, I can see Margaret here, it's almost like, you know, a Margaret, you know, just came in, if I can say this, with, with heaviness and bondage. And now there's just a lightness that's beginning to take place. What I'm talking about is overflow. And I'm believing that in this year, in this situation, Stephen, Alini and the guys, we're going to see people who are going to come in and you can't make sense of it. You don't know what's happening, but God's at work. If you're here tonight and you say, well, I'm, I feel like that. I feel a little bit overcome and I don't know why. Just God. Just God at work. We don't want to mess with that. We just want to let God do what only God can do. Because actually there is an overflow that God is wanting to pour out upon us. And that's what I want to speak into this evening. We're in a series of talking about overflow. How God is wanting to overflow. We've talked about him wanting to overflow with opportunity. We're wanting an overflow with regards to thanksgiving and praise and hope and love. There's an overflow that he wants to pour out upon the town. He wants to bring prosperity to this town, not just in the football team, we'll, we'll, we'll believe for that, but across all stratas of society, every area being touched and blessed. This community that has been derided by many, people would look on and say, huh, 
that place. Yes, in that place, God is wanting to pour out his spirit and do something amazing. But what needs to happen is something significant needs to take place in the people of God. Something needs to take place in the church here tonight. Because I want to talk about an overflow of confidence. I want to talk about how we need to be confident. It reads here in Psalm 27. And if you've got your Bible, please turn with me. If not, don't worry because it's going to come up on the screen. This is what it says. Though an army beseech me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Let me just stop there for a moment. What he's saying in essence is, even though everything around is going wrong, even though everything seems like it's so tough, even though there's just mass disappointment, even though there's so much pressure poured upon me, I'm confident. There's a confidence that I hold. And interestingly, this is a psalm of a king. His name was David. He was an incredible king. Why I love David so much is because you see his frailties. I mean, it's such a sad thing, really, in many ways. that We get to, I wouldn't want my life being written in a book for everybody to read, but we do, we read it all about David. We see all his frailties. You know, he committed adultery, then he tried to cover up the sin. It was just an awful mess that he got himself into. But in the midst of it all, God says, here's a man after my own heart. Here's a man that I love. And this is the man who wrote this psalm, these verses, this song, because that's what a psalm is. And the reason why I was able to say, even though everything is against me, I am still confident, is because this young man was a shepherd boy. And he used to look after his dad's sheep. And when a bear or a lion came to attack the sheep, he was the one who defended the sheep against the wild animals. He overcame them. And he was also the young teenager that the Bible records was ruddy, that he was handsome, but he was no, hadn't got military experience. And when the king wouldn't fight a big mouth giant called Goliath, this young man stepped forward and says, listen, I'm your man, I'll go and take him on. You see, David had a confidence, a confidence in who he was and a confidence in God that caused great breakthrough and victory in the nation. That's why I'm speaking it here tonight, because we need to have an absolute cast iron, rock solid guarantee and a confidence that God is with us, that God is for us, that God is on our side. But the reality is, many of us in, the, in today live with a lack of confidence. If I was to do a straw poll tonight, which I'm not going to do, and I would raise, ask you all to raise your hand, who who is full of confidence here, who lives with confidence, who overflows with confidence, I don't think there'd be many hands that actually would go up here tonight. I really don't. I really don't. And what's interesting is that there was a sky poll um, done and there's some young people here tonight and that's great that they're here. And I want you to listen the best you can, you youngsters, because I want to help you. Some things that will help you as well. And they actually interviewed some young people and there was a, a poll that was done, and, he, and this, the statement by Sky was this, why young people lack confidence. And they say social media is blamed by some for crushing self-esteem, as a Sky survey finds, listen, a third of children lack confidence. I'd love to say that we actually break through the, the lack of confidence when we get to adulthood, 
But my job is I meet with a lot of adults and speak with a lot of people, both church and, and unchurch. And what I found is this. Many people lack confidence. It's like an epidemic running through our nation. There may be a lot of bravado. There may be a lot of pretense. But when you really drive it down, there's not a lot of confidence. And there's some reasons why that is. Because people have got past experiences that have robbed them of the confidence. People say, well, I come from the wrong place, the wrong housing estate, the wrong town. And it erodes them of confidence. There are some things that people have said to us or about us. If you're a school teacher here tonight, please can I encourage you not to write some terrible thing on a school report, even if the person in your class is behaving badly. Because what will happen is that will stick with them and they will remember it for 30, 40, 50 years time to come. Thank God for the school teachers that are here and we've got a head teacher amongst us as well. Let's use our words. Let's use our, our writing carefully. Because, you know, there's, a, there's a, a bit of a nursery rhyme that goes around or something that we say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. I want to say that's a lot of rubbish. Because names are so cruel. And people are having their confidence eroded by the things that have said. Here's another one. People live with inferiority because they're always saying that others are better than them. <laughs> people live with insecurity. And what I found about insecurity, insecure people is they wear masks. It's usually they're the life and soul of the party. It's usually that they're the funny ones in the, in the party, the group. And it's, cl- it's clouded by deep-seated inferiority. Not always the case, but often can be. People live with noia and fears, all kinds of fears that erodes them of their confidence. And one of the killers of this is people forever comparing and forever competing. I'd love to preach a message about comparison. I think that is again another issue across the church and across the world. We're forever comparing with each other. I was saying to somebody today, you know, in the morning, please don't compare yourself to someone else because if you do, you'll always think that they're doing something great and actually what you don't know is what's going on behind the scenes of somebody's life. You think everything's good with them, but the reality is, you know, we think that everything, everybody looks holy. Everybody knows what they're doing here tonight. Everybody's got their life together. And I said to this person this morning, you, you, honestly, you wouldn't believe some of the things I know about some of these people. She looked shocked. She went, really? I says, I'm telling you. What you are telling me is not shocking me. I could tell you some things that are very shocking about some of these people. She's like, really? I'd really got I says, I'm not about to tell you. Oh, dear. What I'm saying is, please don't compare yourself with other people because it will erode you of your confidence. You see, the thing is, what we've got to do is we've got to control our minds. Joyce Meyer wrote a great book. She's a North American preacher, teacher, about the battlefield of the mind. I'd encourage you, if you struggle with your mind, to read, to, to get hold of that book. Because confidence, confidence is eroded by all of these things. It will stop you from starting that business. It will prevent you from going for that promotion because you'll think, well, the guy in the office is better than me. <laughs> It'll stop you from learning to drive. It'll stop you from traveling the world. It may even stop you from asking someone out. I heard a story most recently about two, it was in America, two, uh, a, a boy and a girl, and she was just 
she had, she, she had all the shape. She was, what was the phrase that I used? She was shaped in all the right places. That was it. She was shaped in all the right places. She was beautiful. She was beautiful inside and out. She was, a, you know, she was the one that everybody looked up to. And this guy was a bit of an average Joe, but everybody liked him. And he knew this girl and they were friends and he would have loved to ask her out, but never had the courage, never had the confidence to ask her out and never did. Years later, they were at a high school reunion. This is a true story, their high school reunion. And she was there and he was there and there was a lot of water under the bridge, I guess. And she came to him. It's great to see you. She hadn't seen him for years. And she said, can, can I ask you something? We got on so well at, at high school. And why didn't you ever ask me out? And he gulped. And then the, the killer blow was this. She said, because if you had have done, I would have said yes. Just a lack of confidence. A lack of confidence that causes people to live with such lids of limitation over their lives. And what God wants us to do in this moment is for us to get a God confidence. A confidence, an overflow of confidence. What I'm meaning is this. I'm not talking about arrogance. I need to be really understood. Are you still with me tonight? I'm not talking about arrogance. For numbers of years... Numbers of people have put the phrase on me that I am arrogant. And for numbers of years, that caused me to shrink back. I knew internally it wasn't true. But it caused me to shrink back. Now when people said it, and I had it even last year, through letters, through emails, not from you guys, but just people saying all kinds of things, terrible things, really, sticks and stones. I just know in my heart that I'm not arrogant. But I have a confidence in who I am and in the God that I serve, which sometimes comes across that pushes back on people because they can't handle the confidence that I live with. So I'm not talking about an arrogance. I'm not talking about an arrogance in what I own, the status that I have, the position I hold, the education, or even morality. Jesus dealt with that with the Pharisees. Remember, he said to them, you're like, whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but inside you're stinking. See, some people have an arrogance about the morality. They have an arrogance about who they are and what they've got and what they own and the position that they hold. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a God confidence. But this is what the Bible says about those who live with arrogance. Isaiah 2 verse 12 says this, The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humble. I was with somebody this week at a funeral and just got in a conversation I knew he was wanting to say some things to me this man had just conducted a funeral and at the reception he came to me and he says I want to say to you what you had to say in this message was very interesting but it was untrue God is an evil God God is full of evilness and God is not good and there was numbers of things that he wanted to pour out with me and I just listened to him I just listened and he was wanting a response. He wasn't going to get one at that moment. I just let, listened to him. And then I said to him, Sir, I want to tell you, you are wrong. The God that I know, he's a good God. He's a loving God. In fact, he's a great God. And, you know, there was, a, there was an arrogance that came to this, uh, from this man. I said to him, I assured him that I would pray for him. We left well, but I 
assured him that I would pray for him and I've continued to pray for him throughout this week. I want to say this. Those who are arrogant, even in their, what they think and how they say it, they will be, will be brought low. The Bible says that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. James 4 verse 6 says this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know, if you have a humility of heart, if you, if you are broken, you're in good company, we're all broken. What God doesn't want is you to come before him and tell him how good you are. All he wants is brokenness. If you come in your brokenness, God will receive you just as you are. He will, he will bring down those who are, who are arrogant and he will give grace to those who are humble. So I'm not talking about arrogance. What I'm talking about is the strength of character. I just want to define this. You're all very quiet, but I want to keep going. A strength of character, a humility, a sense of purpose and resolve, an immovable belief. And I explain it this way. When I've done this and I've taught the staff this and Julie can bear me out on this, at least for two years, this phrase, what I've worked through, what I've developed, I didn't learn it from a book. It's something that I feel has come by revelation to me. And when I look at the word confidence, you've got to understand where it comes from. The root word is a Latin word. So excuse me if my pronunciation is wrong. And we have some educators here, so please don't get me at the end. But confidence, if you break it down, there's the first word, which is con, which in the Latin means with. And fides, F-I-D-E-S, is where we get the, the thought of faith. And it's where we actually get the word fident from. Confides. So what it basically means in the Latin is this. With faith. With faith. And that got me thinking about this because I was really, really intrigued by this. Because there was a centurion who Jesus exalted as no greater faith as this man. He was solely confident in God's ability to do what only God could do. He was confident. In fact, Jesus said, I've not seen greater faith across all of Israel than this man. There's a sense in which as we are confident, it's because we are with faith. We are in faith. I put it this way. Confidence comes out of a conviction. And if conviction comes out of what you are convinced about... Because what I am convinced about, I have confidence in. Have you got that? So it goes back to, trace it back. Where does confidence come from? Well, it comes from a conviction which comes out of what I am convinced about. Question, what are you convinced about? What is convincing you at this moment? Are you convinced that the lies that have been spoken over you by your mom and your dad and your school teacher, by your husband, by your wife, Are you convinced of those things? Or are you going to be convinced by what God says about you? Most people live out of what things have been spoken over them and that convinces them and that causes them to have a lack of. But if we will fill ourselves with conviction, because I am convinced about what God says about me, that produces a conviction in me that will overflow in confidence. Can I hear a big amen? And that's the reality. And many of us do not live out of that. Because when I have a confidence, a godly confidence, listen, I become immovable in my belief. I'm not talking about belligerence and stubbornness. I'm talking about, you know, when I'm challenged, when I have people, I've heard it all before. 
I said to this guy, I've heard it all before. God's evil, God's bad, God's wretched, all these bad things. I've heard all those arguments all before. I listened to them carefully. I've done lots of study on it. I've done lots of research. But I, I want you to know, I am immovable in my faith. Do I have doubts? Of course I do. Doubts come to all of us. The enemy comes and puts doubts in. You may say, Christian, really? Do you? Yeah, of course I do. Is this real? Is heaven real? And particularly when you're seeing people die, it's great to have Philip and Zelia here. And we have been praying for you guys in the midst of all your challenges. And, you know, yeah, just, just. But death causes us to think. But I want you to know, I'm immovable in my belief. And this alleviates all fears and doubts. Because I am convinced, plus conviction equals confidence. I'll say that again. When you're convinced, it produces a conviction which then overflows in confidence. I love what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 13. It says this, May you be infused with strength and purity, filled with confidence in the presence of our God, our Father. And Julie shared this verses with us last year some of our staff, staff, and it was a real key verse for her, from 2 Thessalonians 2, and it says this, Jesus gives gifts of unending help and confidence. So, you may say, I've got it, Christian. I've got it. But how do I get it? How do I get it? Well, I want to say the first thing is this. I actually believe it comes from within. This confidence comes from within. Having a positive image of myself. I want you to nudge your neighbor next to you and say, you are great and I am great. Who found that easy to receive? Numbers of you, great. Some of you don't. Because you're not convinced. You're not convinced. Therefore, it doesn't overflow with confidence. And this is part of the challenge that I think we've got to work through as a community and as a church. Because God is wanting to just produce a, an overflow of confidence within us. A positive image of ourselves. At least you did better than Ilkeston, I have to say. Because this morning I just heard it and I knew it was going to go there. I am great, and then somebody tagged it on in Jesus. No, 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 no. Listen, no, it's got nothing to do with Jesus. Please hear me. Don't take it out of kilter. You are great. You are produced. You have been created, listen, in the image of God. You are created in the image of God. Psalm 139, verse 14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That is not just for Christians. That is, he's speaking that over creation. So we can't say in Jesus because there's some people who aren't in Jesus yet. And God says, I, you, are, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are great. And many of us have real difficulties with receiving it. Let me just help you to understand this point a little bit more. Through an illustration, there was a Christian psychologist and he once counseled a woman who felt lonely and abandoned and as she explained how she felt, she, he couldn't concentrate on what she was saying fully because there was a scripture that kept running through his mind. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. This verse 
had no apparent connection with her problem, but he couldn't quit thinking about it. And after she finished talking, she sat in silence waiting for a response. But Dr. Michelson didn't know what to say other than quote the verse. Although he realized it might sound foolish and seemed, since it seemed unrelated to a dilemma. But he said, I think God wants you to know something. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. Does that mean anything to you? And the woman immediately broke down and cried. She was sobbing and after composing herself, she explained what it, what it meant. I didn't tell you this, but my mother got pregnant with me before, I was, before she was married. And all my life, I believed that I was a mistake, an unplanned accident. And God didn't create me. When you quoted that verse, I pictured in my mind God forming me in my mother's womb. Now I know that God created me and that I'm not a mistake. I'll never be the same again. Thank you, Dr. Michelson. I'll never forget this day as long as I live. God knew this woman needed to know she was his marvelous creation and not an accident. Her perspective changed dramatically when she understood that God had crafted her in the womb. Confidence comes from within. But secondly, it also comes from the knowledge that the creator of your life, God, he has spoken his declaration over you and it's powerful. He has spoken over you. You know, this book here, I'd encourage you, if you don't know anything about Jesus tonight, there's been lots of references. We have some Bibles at the end. I'd love to be able to, we'd love to be able to give you a Bible. It's the best gift that we could give you. We'll help you to know where to start reading it because it's a big book and it's a complicated book in many ways. But we'd point you in the right direction because as you begin to read this book, you begin to see that God is speaking things over your life and it's powerful. And as we get his book in our hearts, something begins to happen in our spirits. Something begins to happen in our minds. Something begins to happen in our hearts. Michael Murphy put it this way. When you realize you are favored by God, you act and talk differently. When we are not walking in his favor, we are putting our own thoughts above what God says. And this is arrogance. Another way of putting it is this. If we fail to believe what God says over the negativity we feel about ourselves, we make him out to be a liar. We need to understand that God speaks so many promises and positive declarations over our lives. But many of us do not walk in confidence because we're not in this book. Can I encourage you to get in this book? As you begin to read this book, you will be filled with confidence. You'll walk in your confidence. You know, you won't just get it and you won't get it through seminars. 21 steps to being confident. Seven steps to having a confident body. You know, nine steps to having a confident life. You know, confident parenting. Confident husbands, confident wives. I mean, it's confidence, confidence, confidence. I did a search on Amazon this week. It changes, of course, by the day. 21,000 books you can buy on confidence. And yet we have a massive problem in the church and we have a massive problem in the world that people are not walking in their confidence. You see, confidence comes from within, not without. And it comes out of what I'm convinced about. So three things I am convinced about. Firstly, I've already alluded to it. I am loved, I am chosen, and accepted by God. I want to say that again. I am loved, 
I am chosen and I am accepted by God. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 through to 10 says this, but you are the ones chosen by God. Listen to these words. Chosen for the high calling of priestly work. Chosen, are you getting the thought? Chosen to be a holy people. God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him. To tell others of the night and day difference he has made for you. Listen, from nothing to something. From rejected to accepted. This is what God says about you. You are loved. You are accepted. You are chosen. And yet our theology has been skewed. Because what we've actually said to people, and I remember growing up in church, we had some wonderful pastors, but I don't know how this got into me, but I know it got into me that I had to behave for God to accept me. The more I behaved, the more he loved me. And nothing could be further from the truth. God loves me just as I am. I'll make a statement about that in a moment. But God loves me just as I am. And I, and I used to think that I could earn my way to God. That if I did good things, if I thought good things, if I, you know, behaved at school, if I behaved at home, if I just did, then God would love me. And nothing was further from the truth. God loved me because he loved me. And he chose me because he chose me. And he accepted me because he accepts me. Period. Can I have a big amen? That's the reality. And yet we have lived out of trying to somehow gain his approval and his acceptance. This is a grace church, but it's also full of truth. And one of, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it really is, it's found in Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9. I really encourage you to just, you know, take a note of this. Please, please, please. This is a very important verse. It says this, for it is by grace you have been saved. It's by grace you have been saved. Through faith. There's the fides okay there's the confidence and this is not from yourself this is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast so let's leave that just for a moment I know time's nearly gone but I just need to state this point listen to me Arena Church Mansfield it's by grace you have been saved not through works not through trying by grace so that no one can boast. No one can boast. You need to understand that God came to earth. He thought about you. You're on his mind. You're on his heart. When he hung upon his cro- on the cross, as Stephen reminded us this evening, he was thinking about you. He was thinking about your sins. He was thinking about your brokenness. He was thinking about your pain. And this is his wonderful grace gift towards us. Grace is that which we do not deserve. A gift that we don't deserve. It's like giving a naughty child a gift. You may say, no, 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 that's what it's like. Just giving a gift. And it's almost like as well, His mercy is God withholding from that naughty child deserves. Because we all deserve a good hiding. We all deserve to be left to our own devices. We all deserve to go to hell. Oh, not a very trendy word. But that's the reality. We're all deserving of that because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's requirement. Don't think that it's all these, oh, they're all the good ones. There's none of us are good. There's none of us are perfect. We've all messed up. But God's grace is that he comes and says, you know what, they've messed up, but I love them. I'm committed to them. I can't help myself. You know, when you've got a kid, a child, and they can misbehave, but you can't help yourself, can you? 
I, I know what I'm like, but you just can't help yourself to just love on them and bless them and help them. This is how God is with us. He can't help himself. That's why he sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world. So we are loved, we're chosen, we're accepted. Secondly, very quickly, you are stronger than you realize. You are stronger than you, are, than you realize. Let's just lighten the mood. Time's nearly gone. Let me just be quick, be clear. There are some things you are not meant to be doing, but there are some things you are meant to be doing, you are uniquely purposed to do. And what I've realized is this, I take great delight in seeing staff members and I say to them, I want you to do this. Or I don't know whether I can do that. And I'll say to them, it's in you. You can do this. They go, really? I've done it many times. It's in you. You can do it. And you can, you, it's just there. What I'm basically saying is you are stronger than you realize. You are better than you've been told. I want to tell you, I take no greater delight than seeing staff and people just come alive and blossom and flourish. But there are some things that we're not meant to be doing. So we'll lighten the mood if we can run the video. Nobody gets hurt from this video, but here's a man who shouldn't be doing what he's doing. Let's just look at it. my mind who needs to stick to preaching to young people not riding motorbikes in church can we hear a big amen? amen the reality is there are some things that God's called us to do there are some things he hasn't called us to do but the point is this we've all been called we've all been uniquely purposed you are stronger than you realize there's a poem by Mariana Williamson it came out of a film called Coach Carter. I want to read it to you just before we draw ourselves to the end. And I wonder if the guys would come and join me on the platform for a moment. This is what she says. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightened us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We're all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others you're not just loved chosen and accepted by God you are stronger than you realize and lastly and very quickly third thing I'm convinced about God is for me God is not just with you now God goes before you he prepares the way Tina was telling me a story about something that happened to her wonderful how God just prepared the way he went before her listen in our fears God goes before us God is with me in our doubts, God is with me. In my failure, God is with me. In my temptations, God is with me. In fact, it says in Romans 8 verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? 
all of these points. I could say so much more. I, hope you know, I think you know that. <laughs> but these are things I'm convinced about. And that is why I overflow with confidence, not arrogance, in knowing that God has called me, knowing that God loves me, knowing that God is committed to me, knowing that God knows my life. Listen, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of the tragedy, in the midst of the ups and downs, I want you to know God is with you. God is for you. God is on your side. And this will give you a confidence in your parenting, in your living and working, in your worship, and also in your prayer. A confidence in knowing that as you pray to God, God hears your prayers. You don't just have to ask Paul to do it or Stephen to do it. God hears your prayers. That you can approach coming on a Sunday night with confidence, knowing that God accepts you as you are. Bear in mind, God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. That's the truth. But God is committed to us. I just pray simply that here tonight, there would be something that's deposited in our hearts of confidence. Not a confidence that's reliant upon us, a confidence that completely is rooted in Him. Some wise person used to say to me, self-help is no help at all. We're not talking about self-help. We're talking about confidence in God. I wonder if we bow our heads for a moment of prayer and reflection.